from days of long ago comes a legend. You have walked into the room of Fireback Radio. You can find us online at firebackradio.com. And of course, I'm your host, Brother Marquise. Come on in, people. Make yourself at home. Now, some of y'all know that I can appreciate history. I am not ashamed of myself turning into a big geek when it comes to certain history. History is one of those things where we all should remember as we try to escape some of those trappings of the past. We really should. So when it comes to war and history, we all know that the ones who win the war writes the history, no matter how jacked up that history is. Now, here in the United States, we've seen this history is wrapped up in pride and nationalism. The problem with that is in dealing with the Southern Confederate states, that pride and nationalism is mixed with white nationalism. And since we've been a freed people, this white nationalism has been memorialized as flags of the Confederate that are flown high on streets, public buildings, schools. Uh, you'll see them on bumper stickers and, and, and placed as statues and, and everything else. The monuments, too, were uh, created also and is supposed to celebrate the lives lost to those who fought for the Confederacy. In some places in the South, it's as if they never lost the daggone war. And for those who don't know, these statues and monuments and flags actually contribute to the hidden undercurrent that continues to drive hatred towards blacks in this country. It is apparent that when you walk the streets of some of these Southern towns, it's the white privilege, the, the arrogance, or the I'm above you type of attitude that permeates the atmosphere and even can be witnessed in some of the churches. Believe it or not. According to me, Marquise, and those like me, the flaunting of these flags, statues, and everything else are a symbol of an oppressive history. So the question is, should these objects be removed? Some say yes, some say no. And this issue of removal may seem like a new issue brought on by the Black Lives Matter movement, but in Richmond, Virginia, this is decades old. So in a moment, we'll speak to former councilman Chuck Richardson, who will give us a wonderful history lesson on politics and removal right here on Fireback Radio. We'll be back.
people all over are looking for healthier options. My first recommendation is to visit naturalfrequencystore.com. That's where you will find healthier options from CBD to weight loss. These are patented, wearable frequency technologies, so there are no messy drops or bad tasting concoctions. Everything is based on energy and frequency. So head on over to the Natural Frequency Store. That is naturalfrequencystore.com. Naturalfrequencystore.com. Hey girl, hey, it's your girl Alicia, the regular mama with the $5 drama, bringing you all things bling for any occasion. Shop 24-7 at goodgiftsboutique.us to find beautiful, budget-friendly, lead and nickel-free bling that makes both your heart and wallet sing. Then join me on Facebook in the Good Gifts Boutique VIP room where this regular mama brings you all the $5 drama. You have walked into the room of Fireback Radio. You can find us online at firebackradio.com. And of course, I'm your host, Brother Marquise. Now back to the issue at hand. All around the country, we're seeing Confederate statues uh, come down. Some by force, some by mandate. Some love it, some hate it. Now, today on the show... We got somebody who was there. And like I mentioned earlier, this issue is not new. This is not new. This is decades old. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to enjoy this show. With me right now, I have Chuck Richardson, a member of the historic first black majority Richmond City Council. Now, he represented the fifth district in Richmond for 19 years. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Marquis. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to to speak to this uh, in a broad uh, perspective, where people who do not understand and who do, who do not have uh, the accurate history that we don't repeat the same narrative that the Southern Heritage uh, <laughs> has uh, promulgated locally, uh, statewide, and to the world. That we don't give a false narrative of what is happening. Uh, I'm um, very fortunate to be still here after 19 years on the council, and I've been off council for uh, since 1995. Right. But the fight for me started in 1991 when I introduced the paper before the Richmond City Council, and I called for the erection of civil rights symbols on Monument Avenue because I believed at that time that those racist symbols uh, should be balanced and not a snapshot of history where we live the Civil War eternally. I thought that it was better for history to be a continuum of Richmond's, its progress, its flaws, its glory. And so I introduced a resolution before the Richmond City Council 
it was very controversial at that time. I couldn't call for the bringing down of statues. Right. I would have been hung. I had to work my way into it by recommending a change of that avenue. When I introduced the resolution, very few people agreed with me, and many, many opposed me. But the thing about it is the argument was indefensible, and therefore, right was on my side. And when I said, I'm going to see an African-American on Monument Avenue, people thought I was crazy. The white people laughed at me and ridiculed me. My black friends almost shunned me because they were afraid to associate themselves with somebody who had the audacity to touch the solemnity and sacredness of Monument Avenue, the Confederate generals. So even though I was ridiculed, I watched one night on TV Perestroika occurring in the Soviet Union. And I said, you know, rich America is a blessed country to be able to endure the Civil War and civil rights and move into the 21st century without going through the the uh, repudiation and tearing down of statues in a desecration of violence and removal. I said America is fortunate that we can orderly move from one generation and one era to the other. Well, that's when I introduced the resolution to, to say, as a tribute to democracy, that we tolerated these statues, but we're going to change it orderly. And I knew at that time that it would have been suicide, political, and it would have been inconceivable to accept that during the eight, 1980s and 90s. Right. So I recommended that we add to rather than tear down. And that was difficult because the Southern Heritage people didn't want anything touched on Monument Avenue. And when I, when I introduced it, I wanted civil rights leaders to be erected and no one went along with me i had no support even some of the fellow black council members while they supported the ideals they would not publicly speak to say anything in favor of it now what happened was that we had identified no one we had a discussion over who would go up if anybody so i had to get past two obstacles one the idea of touching Monument Avenue. Right. And two, who would it be? And at that time, Arthur Ashe passed. That's right. And when he passed, I have to admit, it wasn't myself who suggested his name. It came from somewhere. But I said, okay, we'll, I think it was the, 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 the artist in Richmond, Paul De Pasquale. Uh, had been working on uh, a sculpture, and uh, and it, it, there was a confluence of ideas. My suggestion of civil rights heroes on Monument Avenue, and Paul De Pasquale's sculpture of Arthur Ashe and Arthur's passing. And at that time, I decided to let Arthur be the first monument on Monument Avenue. After then, very few people supported me. People right now who, who who take credit for being civil rights leaders are saying they did this and they did that, but I had no one to support. When I when the resolution came before council to vote 
on whether or not ought to be put on Monument Avenue, no one else spoke in favor of it. We had people from the public come down to oppose it. Uh, I mean, they excoriated me and criticized me and condemned me. And I even remember people coming to Richmond, invite me down in Danville to come and explain myself. Ooh. I told that boy, I said, no, brother, I'm going to stay right here in Richmond. I'm not going to Danville, Virginia. I don't blame you. talk about this. <laughs> you understand if you know where Danville yes, sir. was. Yes, sir. Those those southwestern portions of Virginia. So anyway, we uh, I I made a speech that night, and you could hear a pin drop. And uh, we, 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 we voted on no one else on the council spoke in favor. And I looked around for my colleagues, and while they would vote to support me, they would not publicly say, yeah, it's a good idea. Wow. So I didn't mind. I, 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 I just wanted support, but I was hoping the vote would be unanimous. I don't recall it. But it did pass. It passed, and uh, at that time, I was experiencing some difficulties with my own personal life. Right. To make a long story short, that resolution to put Arthur Ashe on Monument Avenue passed that night. But I had been fighting, complaining, but I couldn't voice taking down the Jefferson Davis statue. My proposal was to take down the Jefferson Davis statue first because he was an avowed white supremacist. Right. The president of the Confederacy. And, you know, when you have someone who's admitting to be uh, the, uh, a white supremacist, there is no moral value in that. You cannot justify supporting the values, the ideals of white supremacy. So I didn't think that the argument was defensible. So I said I would put before, and I was trying to get support for the Arthur Ashe statue, and I called on a group of white businessmen and, and, and what was then called Richmond Renaissance. Mm -hmm. And I told them that I was introducing a, leg, a, a leg, piece of legislation. And this was after the Arthur Ashe issue had passed. Right. I talked to those white men, and I can remember that August, yet what morning it was. But I was sitting in the Renaissance office waiting for them to arrive, and I was nervous. I was thinking, how do I talk to the richest white men in Richmond about supporting the Arthur Ashe statue when they want, they, they had their Richmond mentality, the capital of the Confederacy. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the, the Monument Avenue was sacred. So I was sitting there in that room waiting. They came in, and I, we ended up talking, and they could not justify the issue of keeping the statues of particularly Jefferson Davis. But they didn't want to support me, and they told me they would have to propose me. I told them, look, and they nobody wanted it to be a public meeting. They said, Mr. Bishop, you cannot tell the press any of this, and we'll talk to you about it. And I made a deal with them. I said, if you all do not oppose the Arthur Ashe statue, I will not introduce a measure to take down the Jefferson Davis statue. Right. Now, the public didn't know how I managed to get them to be quiet and not oppose the Arthur Ashe statue. But it was the deal 
that if they open their mouths to Richmond business community and put money behind any campaign to stop it, I would announce to a paper on city council, which would have been public, to take down the Jefferson Davis statue. Mm. That would have created havoc in Richmond. And they knew it. So they agreed with me if I didn't go public on my plan to remove Jefferson Davis. Now this was 1991. Right. If I didn't, if I didn't go forward with publicly introducing a paper to take down the Jefferson Davis statue, they wouldn't oppose the Arthur Ashe statue. Very few people knew about it. I only reveal that deal that I called it the deal made with the devil <laughs> that for 25 years for 25 years and in fact I don't even know if there's anybody else still alive that was there Miles Jones is there uh, Clarence Towns was there uh, 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 there were a number of other people and then there were white men there but anyway that that agreement allowed the Arthur statue to go forward without opposition. Um, so when that happened, my argument was that the only reason I'm accepting not tearing down the other generals at that time was because they were kind of like following orders. But the truth of the matter is that they were still symbolic of racist actions, they were willing to die to maintain the institution of slavery. And see, the, the bottom line to it is truth. No one for the last hundred and so years was willing to face the truth. That's the bottom line. And I began to tell the truth, and it was ugly, and they didn't want to hear me say it. So, so let me let me interrupt. World, let me interrupt here. So, when you're talking about the sacred ground on Monument Avenue and and other places in in Richmond, Virginia, all of those people who deemed it to be sacred, they definitely would have been against a statue of anybody other than white going up anywhere near Monument Avenue. Absolutely. Precisely, that is what the case was, and it probably and he had convinced. And probably to this day, you 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 still have a few people <laughs> who are who are over there who are still salty about that coming up. Reggie, I think it was no more than a few people. Absolutely, we <laughs> talking about Richmond now, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, right. So that was the case, and I was constantly telling people the truth, and people said, "Chuck, you need to stop that." is shut up. I said, look, the reason they have gotten away with this false narrative for so long is because we have been subjugated to their history. We have been made to appeal to their desires to conceal the truth. And unless you tell the raw truth, and the truth was that slavery was an institution that these men would have died for. That's right. To beat men until skin rolled from their bones, to hang men without trial, to make them work all day, every day, long, hot rolls of cotton, 100 degree rubber, and the rawhide whip of the slave overseer was what many men looked forward to for 250 years. 
the raping of the little girls, the women, 11, 12, 13 years old, <laughs> stolen from them, stolen from their virgin slumbers, yeah. from any of those slave quarters because they were of age and they looked uh, sexually desirable. For 250 years, white plantation owners, men of virtue, the pillars of that society, were doing the filthy things in the name of slavery, prestige, and privilege. And they were making human beings subhuman by forcing them to let their children be divided, to selling babies and people away from their mothers, never to be seen again. Those horrible truths of privileged white men because they own human beings and indulge in chattel for profit where men and women were no more worth than a cow or a hog or a dog. Mm. And when, when when you give people that truth, it is an indefensible argument when you say we have reason to glorify these symbols. These symbols stood for filth. How do you glorify men who are willing to die so that they could continue to rape little 11, 12, and 13-year-old children. How do you justify upholding those symbols? I could not see, and I'm advised today that there are people who would debate this issue. It is not even worthy of debate. It is something that the world needs to understand, and they need to, in order to secure any degree just a scintilla of redemption, they need to identify and acknowledge the fact that it was wrong. That's when right. People, That's exactly right. When you have people who commit such wrongs, it should be acknowledged. When you have people who fight for such wrongs, it has to be acknowledged. When you have people who would erect statues to the remembrance of those wrongs, then they are just as guilty as the people who did committed those wrongs. So it is just as evil and wrong today for people to continue to glorify and praise these symbols because it was wrong. They were wrong then, they were wrong now, and how they defended, I have no idea how they look in the mirror and say, hey, I uphold those statues in the name of history, and my heritage, well, your heritage stands for people, men, grown adult intelligent men, raping 11 and 12 year old girls, making men work for nothing, refusing to educate black men, but sending the white young men off to colleges to be intelligent and well-braided. Now, how do you justify praising values that stood for such iniquities? And, and yet, and yet they continue, people. they continue to do it, Chuck. And even, even to this day, it is 2020 and things are changing. It might be a little slow roll, but 2020 has been a rough one. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with um, Chuck Richardson. He is a former city council member of the city of Richmond in Virginia. We'll be back in a moment.
Hey girl, hey, it's your girl Alicia, the regular mama with the $5 drama, bringing you all things bling for any occasion. Shop 24-7 at goodgiftsboutique.us to find beautiful, budget-friendly, lead and nickel-free bling that makes both your heart and wallet sing. Then join me on Facebook in the Good Gifts Boutique VIP room where this regular mama brings you all the $5 drama. People all over are looking for healthier options. My first recommendation is to visit naturalfrequencystore.com. That's where you will find healthier options from CBD to weight loss. These are patented, wearable frequency technologies, so there are no messy drops or bad tasting concoctions. Everything is based on energy and frequency. So head on over to the Natural Frequency Store. That is naturalfrequencystore.com. Naturalfrequencystore.com. I'm sitting with Chuck Richardson, former city council member, sat on the 5th district in, in the uh, city of Richmond, and he has been there for a good number of years. We're talking about the proper removal of statues. A lot of people are just wanting to rip them down, but there was a process that that Chuck had to go through. You need to go back and listen to the first half of the show. Chuck broke it all down for us. So, Chuck, talk to me from here. Because of all of these riots and everything else that's going on, people are really getting at it. And I've seen Richmond City Council. I think they did late uh, as of late. They did approve for something to come down. Have you been uh, keeping up with that? Oh, yeah. I've been on the scene. All right. Yes, sir. I've been down there. And, and, and the first time I visited Monument Avenue was when the crowd of people rose up and started protesting these statues of hatred, statues of division, statues of violence and war. And they started to put graffiti and, oh, vulgar words of the statues. I hate to say this, but they look like beautiful works of art now because they're so desecrated with graffiti that you wouldn't have recognized them as something of value. But when that happened, I rolled down Monument Avenue, and it was never so beautiful in all the days I have seen Monument Avenue. Because when I was on council, I could not have mentioned bringing down a statue. And the idea of graffiti on those statues would have been heresy. So, But when I rolled down the statue the first, Day, the black and white people dwelling in peace and harmony were talking and laughing and communicating and having fun. It was a joyful sight for me to think during my lifetime we would be able to come together and change and recognize those statues for where, what they are. 
And that was a, a, a glorious moment for me because a lot of people didn't know that at one time they, that would have been impossible. The right. police would have taken you off to jail. You, you might have been uh, given some kind of treatment. It might have been, it, it was just unbelievable for me. And I considered that a moment of success because many people didn't know that the fight had been going on. Right. Some people thought that the fight just started, but they had no idea that efforts to remove those statues had been going on. And quite frankly, it took the council that I sat on back then a while to come around to even address the issue. I couldn't even address it. In 1977, when I was elected, March 1, a news reporter from the Atlanta Journal and Guide called me long distance and said, Mr. Richardson, and I was so happy to have been elected and we had a black majority, the first black mayor, and we had so many things that we thought we could change. But the news reporter called me from the Atlanta Journal and Guide and said, Mr. Richardson, what are you all going to do about those statues? And I said, what do you mean what are you going to do? We're going to do nothing about them. Mm. You, you wouldn't have been able to talk about taking those statues down. I told him, I said, we got biggest history crime. Right now, we, 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 we want to correct, uh, the disparities that exist. We want to correct the unemployment, the contracts in Richmond, that we were getting less than 1% of all the construction contracts in Richmond as blacks. Uh, our education was, was in shambles. We didn't have equity there. Housing. We had all the poor people living under impacted conditions where nothing but poverty existed. So we had things that we had to concentrate on and to uh, begin to inculcate the idea that we were centered on removing statues would have been an affront to the white community and it would not have allowed us the opportunity to address the more day-to-day -day problems that affected the people. Right. So addressing the issue of statues during that day, it it, it, it was it was it was an implausible and an idea that that time had not yet come. So even though I had it in my mind, I could not make it public. It was only until '91 when I saw Power Striker occurring in Russia and they were tearing down those statues that I decided to say, "Look, let's do something in Richmond to show that we." can change without the violence, that we can remove these statues because they are wrong. And when that happened, uh, the only thing we could do was to put up the Arthur Ashe statue, but we couldn't talk about removing other statues. Right. So we gradually got to the point that I, I, I continued to talk about uh, the embarrassment of symbols that still represented those values. And I would talk to people, but it, you know, I never thought that they would, that in my lifetime, that they would actually come to the point. And it's strange that the thing that the events are in the saddle and they ride mankind, mm. the event of George Floyd's death was so horrific, so despicable, and so hateful then it moved people to understand what those symbols were doing. And that, out of that, 
grew these protests. And out of those protests, we didn't have strong, heroic men with courageous virtues and position of leadership to bring those statues down. There was no one person who did it. No one can take credit for those statues coming down. That is an achievement of, by, and for the people. It was the numbers of black and white people who stood up and said, let's remove these things. It was that force, not in the heroic individual of leadership, but it was the people and their wishes that the outpouring of support to have those statues removed, that is the force that brought those statues down. And it is unfortunate that we can't point to anyone in history. Oh, they're going to be people trying to take credit. Well, I, I did this when I was, I did this. And I, but the people have all the credit for getting those statues down because it was the massive. So many people came out and occupied Monument Avenue in opposition to the continued standing of symbols that represented values that were not worthy of glorification. That was what brought those statues down. And right now, we still have people like these judges. I have called for Judge uh, Cavito mm -hmm. to, 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 Bailey Cavito to resign his position, not recuse himself from the case he was deciding on, because he stopped. He put an injunction on the mayor who ordered the statues down. But he, and that came as a result of the people's pressure, but he made a ruling that the mayor couldn't go further. <laughs> and I called for him to resign and recuse himself because it was unthinkable that in 2020, we would have someone supporting symbols that represented such ugly values, void of any decency, void of any uh, value, that, that he be removed from his seat. But you know what? You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't, it doesn't appear, or I should say, it appears to me that people do not have that as an understanding of what the, these symbols actually mean. And that's because they, they are living in their privilege. They don't have to know, but now because of people like you, it's going to be thrown into their faces and they're going to have to deal with the react, with the new reality of, you know, this America, this, this America that has been created. What do you think? I'm fortunate to still be around. Because back then, I was the youngest member of council. Right. Most of the people were already in their 60s and 70s in position of leadership. I was just fortunate enough to have been elected at a young age of 28 years old, 29. And, and that was the only thing that gave me the opportunity to still be here today. But there was no one else. And right now, uh, only a few of the black members of that majority council still alive and functioning. We have come to a point where people realize those values. Statues are constructed of brass, I mean of uh, bronze, and uh, founded in marble. And the reason we make statues out of things that are durable 
is because we want people to remember the values that are worthy of praise. And when you find out that these symbols are not praiseworthy, you, you, you have to remove them because there's nothing uh, worthwhile to show your children what General Lee stood for. Right. And that's why, that's why I call for those statues to be taken off, but to leave the pedestals there in place. And the reason I say that is because if we were to take down everything, there would be no evidence that served as a lesson. But if we took the statues off and left the pedestals there, 50 years from now when children pass and said, Daddy, why are those pedestals without statues? You would have to explain the history of why there is no statue there. That would be an automatic tool of education to look up and see a pedestal with no statue. It would say, look, my son, the people made a mistake. And when they made that mistake and realized it was wrong, they had to take the statues down. They thought that whipping people till the skin rolled from working men for free, treating people as chattel, raping little girls 11 and 12, they realized that those values were not worthy of praise. So they had to take them down so that we would never repeat that mistake again, so that we would always remember that we are all human beings and that one day the sons and daughters of black slaves, former black slaves, and the sons and daughters of slave owners would come together and in seeking redemption say we are removing these statues. And I have called for the governor and the mayor of Richmond to have a date of celebration uh, uh, so that people can come together and know that we all acknowledge this was a mistake and that this mistake was corrected. You need some evidence of that. that. And uh, I have called for and uh, communicated with the governor, Northern, and Mayor Stoney to have a date maybe next year, where we all come together. Because we have to have real moral courage, not the courage to run up a hill against cannon fire and pistol shooting and, 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 and sword swinging. You know, that's, that's a superficial courage. The real courage is the courage to admit you are wrong. So when black people and white people come together and acknowledge the wrong, that would be real courage. That would be real advancement for the Absolutely. Southern heritage people, of the Southern people of Southern heritage, to to be courageous enough to acknowledge they made a mistake and ask forgiveness, and for African Americans to be courageous enough to say, in spite of the deeds, in spite of the inequitable. Of disparities that you heaped upon us and the cruelties committed against us, that in spite of that, we are willing to forgive you. When people have the courage of that sort to do that, then indeed we will have progress and advancement and real human relations of brotherly love and fellowship. 
when that happens, then I hope the mayor and the governor will set a date and actually celebrate that. Because the real, the, the, the armaments of war were surrendered in Appomattox, Virginia courthouse in 1864. But the real armaments of racism, prejudice, bigotry, they didn't surrender those. They built monuments. And when we, when we surrendered the real ideals of white supremacy and racism and prejudice, then indeed that will be some progress. And that's what I'm calling for the mayor and the governor to do. And so far, uh, my voice has not been heard, and I hope they would they would lower their egos and be humble enough to recognize a good idea when they see it and, rather than... And that right there, that right there, Mr. Richardson, is and has always been the problem when you have egos and pride and all of this extra sauce with wrapped up into the heritage that can be problematic. The, the the good thing is, is that we have an opportunity to vote. And I would encourage everybody to get yourself out there when it's time to vote for the right candidates. And listen, Chuck Richardson, I do appreciate your time, sir. You have been one of the heralds out there doing the real work. And I wanted to say thank you. And I'm certain that I'm not the only one who want to send our shouts of appreciation for you and for your work in the trenches. Thank you very much for being on the program, Mr. Richardson. And you and I, we will talk well, thank, again thank soon. You. Well, thank you for inviting me. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm able to make a small contribution. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not like I was. 35 years ago, but we, you know, we do what we can, and I'm just hope I'm just glad I was able to make a, a small, humble contribution to the cause of justice. Yes, sir. That was Chuck Rich Richardson, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Fireback Radio. Find us online at firebackradio.com. We'll be back in a minute. girl hey it's your girl alicia the regular mama with the five dollar drama bringing you all things bling for any occasion shop 24 7 at goodgiftsboutique.us to find beautiful budget-friendly lead and nickel-free bling that makes both your heart and wallet sing then join me on facebook in the good gifts boutique vip room where this regular mama brings you all the five dollar drama 
People all over are looking for healthier options. My first recommendation is to visit naturalfrequencystore.com. That's where you will find healthier options from CBD to weight loss. These are patented, wearable frequency technologies, so there are no messy drops or bad tasting concoctions. Everything is based on energy and frequency. So head on over to the Natural Frequency Store. That is naturalfrequencystore.com. Naturalfrequencystore.com. Days of long ago comes a legend. You have walked into the room of Fireback Radio. You can find us online at firebackradio.com. And of course, I'm your host, Brother Marquise. Welcome back. With me, I have Reggie Ford, who's running for the 8th District seat for the Richmond City Council. Greetings, sir. Marquise, greetings to you. Thank you, sir. And I want to applaud you for the wonderful thing that you're doing by bringing uh, controversial subjects and educational subjects out to the public. So my hat's off to you. Thank you for that. Well, thank you, sir. And I appreciate you coming on. I hear that you are running for public office and I got you on the phone and I'm going to, I'm going to apologize to you right now. I just want to ask you some questions. It might not be easy, might not be hard, but we got to get down to it because the people want to know. Just a few right, questions. Let's do it. People want to know who you are. So who are you now? And when I, when I search for you online, you know, we, you know, we, we got to, what am I going to see? Marcus, good question. Uh, who I am, first of all, is, is, a, is a humble man who cares about the community, who really cares about what's going on. That is who I am internally. Now, the question you really ask is, what have you done? Why do you think you should be on city council and why should you run? Because I don't see anything out there saying Reggie Ford should run for city council. So I think that's the question you really ask. So let, let me share with you a little bit about my, my background. And then I'll share with you a couple of things about why I'm the appropriate person to uh, represent the 8th District, uh, 8th, 8th District Council. Uh, first of all, I, uh, I'm, I'm originally from Texas. I'm originally from Galveston, Texas. So I know you and you, you had an earlier talk with Mr. Chuck Richardson, but that's where Juneteenth started in Galveston when we got the word two years late that uh, the, the slavery had ended. So that's that's where I'm from. So I'm from the, the, the Mecca of the Juneteenth and, and that was instilled in us and how to be, uh, on one accord and help out your other person. So that is part of me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm prior military. I was in the Air Force, uh, for four years. And then when I got out of the Air Force, I moved to Richmond, Virginia. All right. Hold on right there. And I've all- hold on right there. You were in the Air mm-hmm. Force. And for for all of the military people out there, we all know that Air Force doesn't really count as military. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm going to come back on that. And you know what? And I appreciate you saying that, Marquis. 
So let, let, let me tell you that. And I'm agree with you. We we military, but I, I won't say that we go through the rigorous uh, adventures that you all do. Because when I was in Saudi Arabia, my hat's off to anybody who was in the Army because they took care of us. They made sure that nothing happened to us, and we rode in air-conditioned luxury vans and stuff to our workplace during the middle of a war. I was living in a condo when I was in the Air Force during the middle of a war. So I, we get the job done, but we don't hit the road, and we, we're not doing all the, 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 the dirty work, as you would say, as the military. So I, I, I can't fight you on that. Yeah, I can't fight I, you on that one. I will tell you. Ridge, I think you need it. I think you need to take a little credit, Ridge. They couldn't have done things they did without the people in the Air Force. It takes a combined effort, and you deserve as much credit for being in the Air Force for saving. Because when I was in the Vietnam and the Marines, the Air Force was what saved my behind so many times. And without them, I wouldn't be here today. So stop doing that, brother. Take credit. You did as much of a part that was essential as anybody else. Mr. Richardson, you're absolutely right. But I like to take the humble approach. They they teach us when you're sneaking up on your enemy, you don't let him know you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you might Bam, do pretty well. I think you might do pretty well. You might do pretty well. But don't but don't let me interrupt. I, look, I, I was in the army. I was no, there. I, I was there during the Gulf War. I used to see the Flyboys come in. And matter of fact, when I got back to the states, when we used to go out into the field. Now I used to live on a missile range. I used to, we used to go out into the field. The Air Force used to come to the missile range as as they're uh, going to the field. Now we're going into the desert and these guys are coming on the range and they're telling us, whoo, man, it's, it has sucked to live out here. And then we're looking at these guys like, man, this is, this is where we are. So what you talking about? But, um, yeah, that's, bro, just from an army guy to an air force guy, of course, I got to throw you a little sauce, man. So never mind that. And, but thank you for your service and, 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 and brother, let's, let's keep, keep it moving. So tell me again, let's, let's start it over. What do you do for a living now? And, and do you have time? For the city, currently I'm a, I'm a mortgage broker, and I like to say I'm a, a mortgage consultant because I talk to many people and I help them with finances, moving into their homes, refinancing their home to pay off debt or whatever they do. I love that because I really focus on low to moderate income housing, and that's one of the reasons or one of the platforms for me we're running for city council is low to moderate income, and what can we do to help people increase their income and uh, affordability with houses because that was the research that showed people who went tend not to send their colleges, send their kids to college as much as people who, 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 who own homes. So owning a home, you, you tend to send your, co- your kids to college more. And the research actually said that was a more of a stable home environment if you had a home versus rent. Now I'm not knocking rent. Even though I'm a mortgage person, I think everybody should own, so I don't want it to come across like I'm knocking. Some people have to rent for now, but I don't think that has to be the, the end-all, be-all uh, rent. So that's what I do. I help people uh, with low to moderate income to move into homes. I help people understand their finances. And once we do that, we actually put them on the track to help them with their budget. And let me share one other thing with you. I used to work with this prominent bank uh, that here in well, here on the East Coast. And we, I sat on a board, and that board was called, called Fostering Home Ownership. And to do exactly what I just shared with you, 
But while we were talking on that board, we found out a lot of people did not have bank accounts. They didn't know how to budget their money. They didn't understand the basic finances of money. Uh, they didn't know how to properly interview for a job. So we had to backtrack. Now, this is a bank who makes their money, you know, giving loans. We had to backtrack and start step one, step two, step three, step four to get people in position to do that. The same thing, I know you and Mr. Richardson were talking about the statues, and I know the statues have come down, and I'm waiting for step one after the statues come down because just taking the statues down doesn't cure the, the racism and, you know, all of this vitriol that's being spewed right now. So everything has to have a step. So that is uh, the, the steps that we take to people, put people in home ownership. We need to take steps to make sure we do something after the statues uh, come down. But yes, I'm in the mortgage business and I love it. I, I, I love it. I have the time. That was, that was a two part question. How do I have the time? Uh, actually, um, and it's going to sound a little vain, but I'm, I'm good at what I do. I, I'm good at what I do. So I have a system in place and I always believe that you have to have a system in everything that you do. Uh, you heard the old saying, you can cook a hamburger better than McDonald's, but McDonald's is making all of the money because they have a system in place. So I definitely have time for my constituents, uh, the, the, the city of Richmond, the, the people in the 8th District. Time is not a factor. That, that's Great good. question. That's good. So what about, because we've been, we've been hearing about the strong arming of law enforcement officers during the protest. Do you have a position? on that you know what I, I do and i actually have a five-point plan on that but before i, I share with you what my five-point plan is uh, and one of the points i'm going to talk about now the second point on my five-point plan is when they talk about defunding uh, the police department you, we can't defund the police department uh, we have to right fund the police department so i want to go over my my, my five-point plan with you on this. The first point of my plan is uh, change the mind, the, the, the mindset. Uh, what I mean by change the mindset, and I mean this on, on two, two, two accounts. The first mindset is we know that, that police officers, they get de-escalation training. We have to intensify that de-escalation training when you go to a uh, 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 a situation, of course, you don't know what's going going to happen, but you have to be more well versed in de-escalating that. And we need to make sure that uh, these these police officers are going through more psychological tests because a lot of things are happening. You may have left home that day, and you and the wife may have had an argument, or the wife and the husband may have had an argument, whatever the case may be. And we are humans, and sometimes you take that to your job. Right. The second thing is, and this is. On my other plan, but de-escalation also needs to go uh, to our youth as well. And let me share with you what I mean by that, especially our young black men. When you have a young black man who, who's growing up in a home with just his mother, and I'm not knocking that because my mother raised me, and I get upset when people say a woman can't raise a man, and I'm all man. So, But when you have a young man who's growing up in a home, uh, where he, he sees poverty every day, he sees shooting, he doesn't get an opportunity to experience life because life has dealt him a bad hand and, and he goes to school and, and his, his grades are suffering and then he, he, he gets involved with the wrong people and, and then he, you, you step on his shoe and he's fighting and, 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 or they don't even fight no more to shoot. It's not like when you and I went to school. 
So I think we need to de-escalate on both sides. So if we can do that, I think that would help some of the, 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 the problems that we have. And, and, and once you do that, you will see how uh, that would help people. My second point on my plan is the, is the deep, don't defund uh, right fund. What I mean by if you take some money away from the police, police department, uh, uh, make sure you're putting it in those areas where you have uh, mental health because they don't know how to handle that mental health. Make sure the right departments are getting that money. Just don't take money from the police department and just just disperse it across the city or just take it back. You need to make sure that the police, first of all, are well-funded, well-trained in their particular job. They're not they're, they're not trained to be a social worker. They're not trained to deal with mental health. Yeah. That's what we, that's number two on my plan. Number three is eliminate qualified immunity. A lot of people don't know what that word means, a qualified immunity. But cops, if, if we're going to, let me put it like this. You have your own company, the government or whoever, you, you have a company. You don't have when you get, uh, the government doesn't allow you or you won't be able to allow to do your own audit. You have to have an outside person to come and audit your company. Uh, when you send your taxes in, yeah, you can do your taxes, but when once you send your taxes in, it may get audited by the IRS or some subsidiary, whoever they, they form it out to. Well, the same thing needs to happen with the police department. We need some outside review board or someone to make sure that we can uh, uh, audit the, 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 the infractions that happen with the police department. Qualified immunity allows them to, to have a little more freedom. I was talking with a lawyer several weeks ago, and he was telling me about, uh, and, and you can see it on TV, when a cop gets arrested or something happens, he gets to go home that day because they say he needs to clear his head and get his thoughts together so he can come back. And that's, and that's perfectly legal. But you and I can't go home once they come and arrest, arrest us and put the handcuffs, we're sitting there. Now, we don't have to speak. We say, hey, I need to wait till my attorney gets here. And a lot of us don't have an attorney. We have to get a court-appointed uh, attorney. And that's, that's a whole other uh, issue uh, that we need to address as well. But if you had an opportunity to go home and you got 72 hours or 48 hours to get your head together before you come in and talk to your chief or your buddy who's going to interview you or internal staff, uh, I think you'll be, a, uh, you know, you, you it, that's a little lenient uh, towards you. The, the the fourth part, and I know I'm going a little long with this, and I appreciate you allowing me to get this out, mm-hmm. is demilitarize the police. We don't need to show up in military-style tanks and all armed guards with M16 on the streets. We don't live in that type of society. I think that's the wrong thing. I think that's the wrong message. That's the wrong image, and we shouldn't have that. Now, if we have to call out the National Guard for something, allow them to do that. If we need to go get training, uh, um, our police department in that type of, 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 uh, of job, we can send them to the National Guard, but we, that shouldn't be a, a first resort, a second resort, a third resort. We should not, this is not a police state where we come out and, and we're, we look like the military and tanks and all in full gear. I'm not. I'm not in in uh, favor of that. And, and earlier, I, I mentioned something about uh, what well, a fifth one is independent review board, and I mentioned that earlier. But the most important part of this independent review board 
It needs to be made up of a lot of, of, of citizens. And in particular, make sure that the citizens that are representing that board is congruent or reflective of the, the demographics of that area. So if it's 40% black in the 8th district or in Richmond or whatever the case may be, that board needs to be made up of 40% of that. If it's 20% of Hispanic, that needs to be 20%. And we also need to have police and other jurisdictions on that board as well, just not a complete civilian review board. Uh, so that is something I'm glad you asked that question. That is one of my main platforms. I shot a video today, and I didn't even bring that up, but I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. But that is something that we really need to look, look at right now because the police, uh, uh, we need the police. We really do. So great question. Thank you, Marquis, for that one. Well, when you're talking about defunding, I don't know if it's all about taking money out of the hands. I think being defunded means what one of your points was to defund equals demilitarize because since 9-11 we've done nothing more nothing but militarize the police and that is one of those deals where you can get over on posse comitatus easily if you have a militarized police force instead of sending sending in the u.s army it's the same training it's the same equipment the same weapon they used in Afghanistan is now on the streets of Richmond. I, I believe that um, we should take a moment to take a step back and realize that it, it would be so easy right now to pull the trigger to become a police state, being that we are chalked fill in Corona and in, in coronavirusville. And we don't even want to go there because I could talk all night about what I believe in it. But right now, as it is, the government is is forcefully putting in mandates just like they did after 9-11. And you have to be very careful about that. So if you have somebody locally who can defund that aspect, maybe we can slow down that train getting into tyranny. Let me comment on that. And I agree with you 100 percent. This is one thing I don't like about some of our politicians. Now, they throw the word defund out there. We know by the definition of defund, that means take away, take away the money. And so most people, when they heard that money, heard that word, they immediately thought that we were going to get rid of the police department and we were going to run free. And that is what got people in the uproar. And then, and we had a couple of people here uh, uh, on council talking about defunding the police department. I want to make sure, and this is something, this is one of my platforms, is transparency and not saying words, to grandiose words and stuff that make me look good, but breaking it down so we can understand. You can ask Mr. Richardson about this at some point. There are so many times when we have a referendum or something we have to vote on, and the wording is so obscure, just so crazy that we really don't understand what's in there and what the people do is say, oh, which way should I vote? You don't want that. That is not, uh, that's indoctrination. That You're inculcating that person's thought process and they really don't know what they're, 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 they're voting on. So that defund, when I first heard it, it really disturbed me and that's, and that's when I really jumped into action and said, let me put a plan, see exactly what they mean, put a plan together. And jump on it. If you want to look at something of actual, actual, um, uh, 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 success story, 
go look up and Marcus, you may, you may want to do this and I, and I have some contact there. Cameron Police Department in New Jersey. Uh, that completely changed the, I, I completely changed the police department around. It is, it is totally, it was the worst, uh, in, uh, next to Newark and all that in New Jersey. And now it is a, it is the model police department for police departments across the country. Now, now I got one for you. Now, now, now I'm going to say when you get in, I'm not going to say if I'm going to say when I would like personally, maybe the state police or the, the Richmond city police could, could raise awareness, not raise awareness. This is the issue that I always have with shootings by police officers. They always shoot all of their clips. You know, they shoot all these shots into somebody. You have five cops unloading. Now, is is there something that you going into city council can do, can raise up to the city chief for, for different training to where you will have one or two people to take the shot, not five or six people to take the shot if necessary? Probably about three years ago. Uh, uh, four or five years. I got a video. It's something, and I'll send it to you. It's a video I did. Uh, I started something about four years ago called Unite the City. And I, I forgot, so many of us have gotten killed. I forgot what black man got killed. So I started Unite the City. So I started out, my first one was in the H district. It was a lot of people there. Then the next one was in Chuck Richardson district. It was in the fifth district. Then we did the third one in the seventh district, which was at Mount Carmel Baptist Church. And I invited the police department there. And I remember Sergeant Alameen and uh, several other police, policemen, uh, policemen and women were, were there. And we have no video and I'll send it to you once we're, you know, once we get off the call. It was a great, uh, meeting. We learned a lot, but Sergeant Alameen invited everyone in there to come to the police academy over here next to Virginia Union something called mylar training that's the simulation they go in and you shoot the gun the gun feels real it's it, it heavy you, you got a screen got a camera the person it's all the whole reenactment it's a real person there's no cartoons it's nothing so we get in now a couple of us went and we pulled the trigger i'm out i'm out of bullets i'm thinking something wrong i unloaded on the person did not know that i unloaded on the person and, and I shot an innocent person. So it's, it's, it's these, um, different scenarios that they give you. The reason I share that, that, that with you, uh, I don't know how often, and I'm, and the answer to your question is yes, but I don't know how often they go into training, uh, to, to be prepared for that. As you know, being in the military, we, we play war games all the time. We just been sitting around and wait for a war. We played all the time. And that may be a step in the right direction to increase their war games. Well, I don't want to say that because they're not, they're not in the war against us, but uh, increase their training. So they, their reaction time and their, their sense of, <laughs> of, of, of awareness will be more acute. Uh, that is definitely something we have to do because you're right. Uh, but, uh, I would definitely put that on my list as something to sit down with the chief. And the reason I say that, and I'm glad you brought that up because the, uh, the, the, the incumbent in my, 
in my uh, uh, district that I'm running against, she is the safety person, so she has the opportunity to sit out and talk with the chief every day, every week, and every month because she is the one that's over, over or in charge of that. And that will be something that will hopefully fall into my wheelhouse. Now, I'll, I'll tell you like this. As a truck driver, a truck driver has to do a pre-trip inspection and a post-trip inspection every day. Now, if you skip that inspection, you could blow a tire. I mean, of course, you don't have much control over that, but you can you can catch issues before it happens. When it comes down to police officers, tr- that type of training, at, at, I'm guessing at least monthly. I don't even know what their schedule is, but at least monthly to get you s- sensitized to... Uh, how how often you shoot? Like you said, you want to load it a whole clip. As a trained <laughs> professional, you should never unload a clip. Now, right in in a lot of these cases, you will see somebody get shot. They had twenty four bullets in them, and it's like, well, how does three cops or how does two cops have twenty four bullets in them? You know, they only they might only carry nine or ten, maybe maybe twelve in a, in a clip. That means somebody had to. You know, take the clip out, reload, and, and keep shooting. I mean, mm-hmm. we see it way too many times. So that that's my little grind. But I'm gonna ask you one more question. Now, with with all of this that's going on, with the movements, with with the riots and everything else, there are some unsavory people in the background that could possibly try to take credit for what's going on. So, but my question is for you, like the BLM, the Black Lives Matter, who do you, what do you support exactly when it comes to the Black Lives Matter? So, first of all, let let, let me say this uh, about the protesters and and, and what's going on. I'm always and have always been a strong proponent for the Constitution, for the right. Uh, to, to, to publicly assemble. Uh, however, I draw the line between a, a peaceful protest and thugs and hooligans that come in and destroy and tear up the city like what we saw in Charlottesville. Uh, I saw a clip and it was a, a young white girl painting BLM on a building. And this black girl went up to her and say, don't do that because they're going to blame us for that. I saw many clips with uh, white men who were dressed completely from head to toe and they, some of them had an umbrella so they could not be really uh, seen but you can tell and they were walking around uh, and this is here in Richmond this is not on the news. This, I mean it was on the news but this is not uh, in some other state. It's not mainstream. And they were burning and destroying and tearing things down. And there are two Black Lives Matters out there. there. There are two of them. And and I know uh, uh, the the video about Patrice uh, that Patrice put out uh, that she was a trained Marxist. And and when I saw that video, I really want to sit down and understand what she talked about talking about because I know uh, uh, as much as I like them and I love them, the Black Panthers they follow a lot of the Marxist. Uh, 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 doctrine. They actually went to, uh, Elders Cleaver, uh, went to Cuba, and, uh, uh, um, uh, I forgot the Cuban guy name, the one who died. Um, 
Oh, Chaz. Okay. So they Chaz actually went there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And and they went there. So when she said to Marx this, and I understand that she was trained up under that, and I, and I wonder in my mind, does she really understand what that is? Or it, does she really understand what's going on? Because she said it, uh, the video was new in her infancy. I think it was like a couple of years after they formed uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, I, I really would like to see if someone could sit down and I just really want to understand her thought process now on, on what's going on. But I do think there are two Black Lives Matters. I think there's one that's true, sincere, pure. And I think there's another one out there that is, is apparition. It's, it's a ghost. It's somebody who's, who's tending to be something that they're, they're not. And they are putting Black Lives Matter on things and they're, and, and, and it's making it look bad. And, and everything that happens, the far right saying Black Lives Matter is a racist organization. And then the far left, I'm, I'm on the left. So we, we're supporting it. So there's some misconfusion and misunderstanding out there. So good question. I know I sound a little ambivalent on that, but I still think there's some questions that need to be answered because I know what the doctrine and the teaching that the Black Panthers were under. And I know what their thing was. They were strictly about helping, helping the people. And then I understand what's going on on this side with Black Lives Matter as well. All right. Well, that's fair enough. Well, Mr. Ford, I appreciate you giving me some time and come back anytime. I can't wait for you to win so I can uh, at least have somebody I know in city council down in Richmond. <laughs> yes, sir. I appreciate it. Hey, Mark, you have somebody. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity and I, I appreciate you actually uh, this is the, actually the first public forum that I have announced that I'm running for city council. So you actually got the first exclusive. Many people know I'm running, but this is actually my first actually announcement that I'm running for uh, office. Now, I'm on the ballot and all of that, but thank you for giving me the platform to, to share that. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening with Reggie Ford, who's again running for the 8th District seat for the Richmond City Council. And before that, we spoke to the one and only Chuck Richardson. We're going to just say we had a great day today and we're going to put this thing to bed. Gentlemen, I do appreciate your time. You're listening to Fireback Radio. Once again, find us online at firebackradio.com. We will see you on the other side.